Welcome to Saucer Cinema, the podcast about UFOs, aliens, and otherworldly phenomena in film, TV, and other media. I'm your host, Alex. On today's special Halloween episode, I am joined once again by Jen Albright and Bitter Corella to discuss one of my personal favorite films, Life Force, from 1985, directed by Toby Hooper. everybody uh today i have jennifer albright and bitter corella back on the podcast to join me for a special halloween uh event episode uh about the movie life force directed by toby hooper hello friends hey corella you said you hadn't seen this before right no this was my first time ever watching this movie uh prior to i was aware of it but prior to this, I really only knew it as the movie where Captain Picard's face melted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed that movie. That's so funny that um, because this movie is often maligned as merely the titty vampire movie, which after reviewing it again today, I would have to say is is pretty accurate. But you, <laughs> you remembered it as the movie where... Um, you know, Patrick Stewart was shaken to death by Steve Rails back and not the movie where the lady walks around naked for most of the movie. Yeah, I was not aware that there was nudity in this movie before I watched it. Oh, boy, uh, is there. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that oh, no. literally all I knew was that face melting thing from the, uh, you know, the Star Trek recuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are funny. Yeah. So uh, it was actually, uh, it was, I was kind of surprised. I, I vaguely knew, oh, there's like vampires in space or something. But watching it, I was, I was not prepared for the turns that this movie took. <laughs> yeah. It's based on a novel by Colin Wilson, literally called The Space Vampires. <laughs> what it says on the tin. Um, and, and uh, Bitter Corella clued me in last night that um, Colin Wilson was kind of an interesting guy. Oh, yeah. He's like one of those guys who had his fingers in, in so many different little areas of, of uh, I guess you would just call it collectively weird shit. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, like uh, paranormal stuff, UFO stuff, uh, Jack the Ripper stuff. He did it all. He was like that kind of guy. Yeah. And I actually took a look at the uh, the source novel um, because it's available on, on the Scribed app. And uh, I'm the kind of lunatic who likes to do completely unnecessary research for all the dumb movies that I talk about on my own show. That's uh, patreon.com slash have you seen this folks? Um, I looked at the novel and I hadn't, I haven't seen the movie in probably like more than 15 years. I did see this at the Cinematheque. Um, 70 millimeter print with six track mag sound, which is really like, you know, if you have to watch this movie, that's probably the best way to watch it. Um, but I decided to see if the novel was any good. And I have to say, like, I started it and it's, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's pulpy, but it's very economical. It 
pretty much just starts you right off. Hey, we're on a sh- we're on an exploratory spaceship, and we found this craft that's gigantic, and we don't know what the fuck it is. And then the story rolls like really quickly. So I would give it the edge over the movie, actually, because uh, like I don't know, I just found the movie oddly dull for the most part. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Colin, Colin Wilson, like, like Alex said, um, he was one of those guys with his fingers and everything. And I mean, he was, yeah, he was just churning these books out. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he had that pulp sensibility where he's like, look, we got to get, we got to get asses in seats, you know? Uh, I mean, not, not, it's a book. So, I mean, I guess you'd say you got to get asses and armchairs. Yeah, there you go. Um, (laughs) so, you know, he, he knew how to like move, he knew how to like keep people's interest. I, I mostly know him for the Spider World uh, trilogy, the the books about like where what if Earth was taken over by giant spiders and they made everyone be their butlers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to be quite concerned with um, kind of parasites from other worlds. These books were kind of his Lovecraftian trilogy because I believe he was dared by August Derleth himself to write a Lovecraftian novel, like, yeah, but you can't do it. Because I think that Wilson was a little bit of a Lovecraft detractor. Um, and, you know, like many of us um, came to have a, some, a grudging respect for him. Um, so he took a crack at it and, um, you know, I guess he did it pretty successfully because like the, the novel, The Space Vampires, again, like I can't really fairly evaluate it because I've only taking a look at like the first 40 or 50 pages, but he's really good at setting that kind of uncanny unsettling mood that you want from uh, Lovecraftian fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. I, as long as we're talking about Wilson, um, I, I, there's one thing I, I don't I, I told, I told Jen this last night and, and Alex, you may already know the story about um, him and his father-in-law. No, actually I don't know this. Oh God, this is so wild. <laughs> Okay, and and this may speak to how how good uh, Colin was at sort of pulpy genre writing, uh, but apparently at one point his father-in-law uh, discovered his manuscript for a book about uh, I think it was actually about like Jack the Ripper serial killer type stuff, and mistook it for Wilson's actual diary, <laughs> and apparently like busted in on in on him, uh, sorry busted in on him at a uh, dinner party and beat him with a horse whip while yelling, you are a homosexual with seven mistresses. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mr. Father-in-law, sir, the term, the correct term is fag hag. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently what makes it even better is in order to convince his father-in-law that this was not his diary, he submitted his actual diary to get published in the Daily Mail. And his actual diary was just him talking about how he was the greatest literary genius of all time and shit like that. And so apparently he just got roasted by the entire British public intellectual set. And um, it kind of killed any chances that he, I think he wanted to be kind of seen as a serious philosopher because some of his early work was uh, kind of uh, introducing the British public to existentialism. But um, yeah. I, I think that kind of killed uh, that that dream. Well, because as it happened, like his first book, which uh, titles continue to escape me, but his first book was a, a a philosophical treatise that he wrote in his early twenties, and was 
the outsider is that what you're referring to yes um yeah which yeah, i one. guess is um i uh, philosophy is not my forte which is why I'm, i go on podcasts to talk about space vampire movies but um <laughs> i guess it's it's a study of the outsider in like art and literature like it talks about alienation and all that fun existential shit and everybody like lost their minds over it they're like you know this is the coming of a new great like philosophical genius um but his uh it was the first part of an eventual trilogy and they panned the other two, I think because um, he had become sort of a lull cow at that point. And I've heard a couple of different versions of the story that um, Corella just related, which um, about him releasing his diaries to prove that he wasn't actually like some kind of uh, homosexual pervert slasher. Um, I also heard that his journals were actually stolen and published without his knowledge but i don't know i don't know legally how you could do that so who knows it, it, that might have been his cover story it was like oh no i didn't i actually didn't release my my diary and make myself a laughing stock like they were stolen so that i do not know well you know the british media laws you know you know it's all a mess over there i mean it's like ugh, and uh, you know the fact that they like uh, and he seems like pretty extra to be honest, but the fact that the, you know, kind of the British like intellectual establishment, like lionized him and then like immediately turned on him. It's like, this is also just such like a stupid, like masturbatory circle jerk where it's like, we're going to anoint someone and then just like tear them the fuck down, like as soon as possible. So I don't know, but yeah, that's kind of how literary communities work to this day, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Truth. truth. He had a lot of bad art friends. <laughs> uh the the bad art friend will live in infamy forever uh so uh yeah so jen you saw this and mentioned that steven railsback star of the movie was there yeah um i recall him being there for this and also for uh richard rush's the stunt man mm -hmm. um which is a very fun movie if you if you guys haven't seen it another kind of um overlooked gem um, which is why the Cinematheque brought it back at the time. And, uh, you know, uh, Railsback was there to uh, do Q&A, and he comes, and I might, I don't know if I'm remembering wrong or if I'm unfairly maligning the guy or whatever. And, you know, I don't think he's a bad guy, but he just comes across as very strange. Mm -hmm. um, just a strange guy, and he's played strange characters to the point where he's gotten really typecast because you know he played he played Manson in a in a very popular TV movie about the Manson killings and it seems to have followed it followed him around for most of his career um in spite of the fact that he mm. has worked very consistently yeah. um, um throughout you know the 80s 90s and now who who did he play in in a, um Life Force he was the colonel, the not the British colonel, the American colonel. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, I I can see that now. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he was also famously Dwayne Barry on the very important early episode of the X Files. Um, oh, that's cool. Good for him. But yeah, he's he he specializes in playing like just kind of weird, un, weirdly unhinged characters, and this his character isn't necessarily. He seems quite hinged at the beginning of the movie, but. Yeah, and then yeah, he's but he's uh, overtaken by a force um, that unhinges him. He gets Titties. too horny. Yeah, 
<laughs> a force that really unhinges a lot of people regularly. Um, yeah, like I was thinking uh, as I was watching this because um, kind of a tired criticism of a lot of genre stuff, particularly horror or suspense, is like, oh, well, like it, the story depends on people just being really stupid. And it's like, well, people are really stupid. Like, I know that all of the dumbest decisions I've made in my life were because I was horny, so... He's kind of relatable in this movie. Like, honestly, it's a pretty hot space vampire. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and she has taken on the most desirable form possible, which is a 20 year old French woman with huge titties who doesn't talk. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, this movie, I'm the thing that really I love and makes me interested in this movie. I think maybe more than a lot of other people is that it really is about the barely repressed, you know, desires of England. Basically. I feel like everybody in every man in the movie is like, like a minute away from like jumping, you know, on this lady. It's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> this, it's like this bubbling cauldron of just raw, like sexual energy that's being tapped by this space. Uh, menace. Every male character in this feels like they're about to do like a carry-on sketch, you know? Uh, especially like the security guards who just... Um, yeah. Let... <laughs> I love these security guards. Oh, he's a naked lady. Come on, Oh, there's a bird. She's in the dip. Yeah, like the, the stratification of British society is really clear because all the security guards are s stupid cockneys. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, the naked ladies coming down the old apples and pears. <laughs> I, um, I, I love this. I do love that this movie is, um, I guess it's kind of like, um, I, I, I thought when I was watching it that it felt very much like uh, Quartermass in the Pit. Or yes, a lot of yes. Those, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, oh, uh, guys in suits explaining things to other guys in suits. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Like, if this had been written by Nigel Neal, <laughs> it would have been, like, I probably would have loved it. Um, Alex, the themes... The, the theme that you mentioned about, you know, British society and its repression, like, does make the movie a little bit more interesting to me. Be um, especially because I was thinking as I watched it that its, it's very Britishness was a little bit of a liability. Um, because the, the characters that move the plot are extremely boring. Um, there isn't a lot of development of them as as people they're they're kind of um like you couldn't you couldn't guess at like what these guys do in their spare time like they're 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 just they're scientists and officials and you know that's the end of it and steve rails back interestingly as the american is the one who absolutely loses his shit yeah yeah well yeah very american but i don't know like um i puts me in mind of a review that I remember from uh, Cream Magazine, of all things, of um, the musical version of uh, Jeff Wayne's uh, War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. um, uh I know you're f familiar with that album. Alex, I don't know if, if oh, you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I grew up with that album. Uh, my dad, uh, yeah, he had a, uh, I didn't really listen to it that much, but I always liked the artwork on the album, which is just fucking sick. 
Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, with, like, ravens tearing flesh out of, like, the, the dead alien's head and shit. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. so metal. And I, I, I love the album. It's a, it's a, some good music on it. But um, this Cream review, I felt kind of missed the point where they said, um, the person who wrote it asserted that they didn't understand, like, why it was a British setting. Because, like, the British didn't seem like the type of people to, like, fall into this kind of... Uh, like apocalypse, which is ridiculous. I mean, like people are human beings everywhere. Like we are all of us capable of losing our goddamn minds at, at any point. Like should society take like a, a downward turn? Um, no, I think the British would have a very stiff, stiff upper lip if there was an apocalypse. And there is that, there is a little bit of that feel to it because they are very, they, they do seem very contained as the, as this disaster unfolds during the movie but um you know once it spreads across london it's like all bets are off yeah also the genre switches that it kind of like does there like it basically just becomes a full-out zombie movie for a little bit yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's very yeah that is very weird because it kind of starts out as this very kind of ponderous 70s sci-fi and then it switches to a vampire movie and then it switches to a zombie apocalypse movie so yeah, that's actually one of the aspects I really, really like about it. It's it's it is just like whatever. We'll just go with it. <laughs> I feel like there is like there's some good bits, like especially with the zombies, where like they you realize, oh, the prime minister is infected, but then they just like don't <laughs> then they kind of just like leave that. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's like especially a movie made in like nineteen eighty five. Like that revelation that like the guy in charge is like one of them should be like horrifying, but instead it's kind of played for laughs where he's like Miss Haversham, come yeah. to me. Also, her name just... is Miss Haversham. Come on. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and yeah. Like, see, yeah, she and she look. I'm sorry, the way she acts, it's like she's like Miss Slocum from Are You Being Served? You know, mm-hmm. so the whole thing is very weird. But then like, and then the heroes are like, hmm, the prime minister's infected, and they just walk off. And it's like I really feel like that should have had an impact. Yeah, yeah. I, at that point, they're just like, eh. <laughs> well, yeah, like, af- after the day I've had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess Stephen Railsback is the protagonist of the movie, but he's not exactly the, the audience identification figure or anything. It really isn't one. You're just following a couple guys, and then they bring on this, uh, uh, what was the curly hair guy's name? Kane, oh, yeah, played Kane. by Peter Firth. He's, I guess, the next protagonist but he's like a very like taciturn you know it's all business-like and they're all very british like yeah i i could not tell most of them apart you know (laughs) yeah it's like yeah i was like okay there's like a there's like the american guy who who you know we see in the beginning with a bunch of they're a bunch of space people right in the spaceship and they all die joint yeah it's like a joint british american space (laughs) of course we have to we have to hold them up, don't yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that we got that guy. Um, and then like, you know, there's Kane, there's, there's that, what doc, the doctor of thanatology. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The one who look, kind of looks like Eugene Levy. And um, a little bit, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. The eyebrows yeah. and everything. Like, honestly, the whole movie, I was just like obsessing on his trans uh, flag tie. Oh talks. yeah, yeah, yes! I was thinking the same thing. Like, yeah, it has the tra- yeah. His he's got the trans colored tie. Yeah, every time he's on, it's just like it's just like oh, doc, doctor Faladay or whatever his name is says trans pride. It's just like 
Um, that's a nice change from a lot of other people in the United Kingdom, to tell you the truth. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, I was thinking this movie kind of explains to me like the whole UK issue with transphobia, and because it's, like, it's like they're fucking afraid of anything. That's <laughs> they're so. I mean, everybody in this movie is terrified of of female sexuality or any hint of homosexuality or any kind of deviant sexuality or anything. It's just like any any glimpse of it, and they're just like, Whoo! That's Britain for you. Jumping off of what Alex was saying about um, kind of the the fear of any transgressive sexuality, that is a little bit related to kind of the role that uh, Steve Railsback's character plays in this because he's kind of a rare example of the hysterical male, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is... Um, I don't want to say it's not a, a type of character that you you see a lot. You do you do see it, especially in in genre movies, um, horror movies, where um, you know um, Donald Pleasance's character in Halloween two comes to mind. Yeah, um, men who are just kind of driven past the point of standard masculinity, like. They are as hysterical as the women getting like hacked to death by, by you know the slasher or the vampire or whatever. Yeah. So it's interesting the way that the movie kind of like centers around his like loss of control and hysteria. I mean that is the theme of the movie. That's what it's about to me. Well, I wonder because uh, also since he's the the American in the movie and that's yeah. kind of I feel like this. Well, this was uh, what uh, Toby Hooper. Yeah, who's, yeah. Who's an American director, I I believe. Yes, yeah. He um this this is interesting because it came out okay, so it came out in nineteen eighty five. It was the first of three movies that he did for Canon Films, the famous uh um B movie uh factory run by um the uh, Golan Globus. Golan Globus, yeah, yeah. And this movie was um very expensive. Uh it was like it cost like almost thirty million dollars. Like that's another thing about it is that it is so pulpy and so over the top, but like the actual scale of the production is pretty impressive. It's like you can see it on the screen. I mean, some they of the spent effects. Fifteen million per titty. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, but apparently they did run out of money at certain points because that you know that happened with a lot of movies made by the uh, um, Canon films because they had uh, they were all constantly having issues with money and uh, stuff but yeah there's so apparently it did shut down like once or twice but um they did manage to make it for 20 million dollars and uh or 20 or 25 million dollars it was like something like that it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty impressive i mean um uh and and it's you know i like i don't think anybody else would probably throw that kind of money for a movie like this no, and you're really you're really seeing that money burn on the screen towards the end of the movie. I mean, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, and like I'm gonna um, I'm really gonna be the villain of of this episode. But like for thirty million dollars, like looking at not all of the effects because this was um, John Dykstra, and the opening especially is is really well done. There's some excellent production design in mm. there, um, but a lot of the a lot of the practical effects in it are just kind of like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I guess to me, I mean, that's part of the 
charm of it. Sure. But like, I don't want to be too mean. And this is kind of an attitude that, that I take on my own podcast is that filmmakers do what they can with what they have. And, you know, not to, not to defend like, um, <laughs> you know, the, um, the, uh, Hollywood fat cats at, um, at Canon films, mm-hmm. but a lot of times when you're, when you're doing practical effects and you're trying to put a concept across on screen, you know, your reach can exceed your grasp and you can end up with something like a lot less impressive than what you imagine in your head. So I sympathize. Um, and some of the, the, you know, the puppet stuff isn't bad. Like the, the, the desiccated security guard and stuff like that. It's like, okay, you know, that's kind of scary, but like on another level, it's like, oh, he's wrestling with a puppet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think it's just if the, how you come to this movie, it just depends on what you get out of these kinds of things. Like for me, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the uh, the puppets aren't exactly, I mean, they're kind of impressive in the, what they can do, but they're like also very goofy looking. Like very, they look like like a, like something out of like a old EC Comics kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a cool aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I and I kind of think that's kind of the, the where where this movie's coming from. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I hate. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to bring up camp stuff or anything in this because that's just beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But I, I well, I don't know. Maybe not. This movie's pretty. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean. It's just. It is. It is. It's very. I mean, it's it's just very purple over the top, and that's what I liked about it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I guess. Some things in the movie might be dull if you're looking at it from a certain perspective. You kind of just want to actually have a story to follow and think that's, you know, characters doing things and uh, uh, having some kind of emotional journey. But, I mean, for me, I I want to see some space vampires wreak some havoc and I want to see titties. Yeah. Hell yes. And there ain't thing one wrong with that. And, you know, I do want to emphasize that... Um, uh, this is kind of a personal reaction to the movie because I tend to um, I tend to like movies that go the extra mile with uh, character texture, and this may that's kind of thing is sort of beyond the scope of a of a canon space vampire movie. Yeah. Like not that, not that Toby Hooper isn't perfectly wasn't perfectly capable of that kind of thing, um, you know, and. Uh, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like he certainly excelled at, at depicting very extraordinary and upsetting characters, like in a few broad strokes, which I, is what makes that movie such a, a perennial favorite. And it may be that the scale of this production got away from him, or the fact that you know maybe he wasn't getting the kind of support from Canon that you would want from your production company. Um, he did, did he do Poltergeist before this? Uh, he did Poltergeist. Um, that was a few years before. So 1982 or so, I want to say. Yeah, that came out in 82. Um, I think he might've done something in the, in the interim, but, uh, I know the three movies he did for Canon were this, um, remake of invaders from Mars. Um, Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which just gave me nightmares as a kid. Um, it's, it's not, <laughs> yeah, that it's one's not very pretty good. fucked up. But it's but no, it's, but there's a great scene where the Martians like eat the kid's teacher. That yes, part's great. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That part was pretty funny. Funny, and there's some there's some, there's some good imagery and there's some cool stuff in it. 
and uh, then of course Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, which uh, you know was pretty famous for being uh, over the top and crazy and uh, to me it, it these these three movies kind of feel of a piece in a way in that place in his career he was uh it was have fun make this movie <laughs> well i think that with um you know poltergeist is a pretty major um hollywood production executive produced by spielberg and that's the that's probably yeah that's probably the kind of tight ship that you might want to get your movie actually finished um you might you might give up a little creative freedom because an executive producer on the level of a Spielberg is 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 definitely going to have an effect on the final product but it's like hey like it's a professional crew they got it made and it was a big hit um so maybe again it might be a case of of canon not being stable enough to give uh, Toby Hooper and the crew uh, like an opportunity to make something that's a little more, I, mean, I don't want to say fully realized. It's just that the kind of the, the tone of, of life force that it, it is that it is pulp. It's a very, it's a simple story um, with simple themes, which is fine. Um, you know, it's just it's just maybe not going to have the the lasting impact of a poltergeist or a low budget film like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right. which yeah. is, um, you know, on that level, you can get pretty close to like an auteur statement because you have more control over what you're doing. Um, but I th but what I'm getting from in particular, like, um, you know, Alex relating her experiences about life force is that it's the kind of movie which will strike a chord with uh you know one out of three viewers or whatever because this is a cult movie there are people who do really enjoy this movie and um yeah i don't think yeah. it's only because of the space titties no 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 it just it just captures a feeling it's mm -hmm. like this weird combination of like hammer horror and um uh you know like that's sci-fi of that time, you know, like this is actually co-written by Dan O'Bannon who did the original alien. Oh, shit. oh wow. Huh. Um, that, that explains a lot about that opening sequence. It, I mean, it literally starts off like alien and ends like, um, you know, nine to living dead movies or something, you know, you know, the, um, looking at the, the source novel, the space vampires, like the opening of the novel made me think like, Oh, like, I wonder if the, the people who made alien were influenced by this because this, straight up feels like like alien but it came out in 1970 or so oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mean yeah. Uh, yeah like i mean um dan o'bannon for sure i mean he's the type of guy who read probably every single fucking pulp thing that ever came out like mm -hmm. he was, he was yeah. like an uber nerd so alien is i mean probably my favorite movie actually but like it's obviously plot wise it's it is straight old school b movie but it's just yeah. done in like the best you know the most polished yeah. you know um, way possible but like it's uh this is not quite that um yeah. well, I mean, like you were saying this is like four different movies kind of in a um crammed together and um uh, uh 10 and... pounds movie in a five pound bag yeah <laughs> it's a movie loaf basically um <laughs> it's just a bunch of shit just mashed together but i kind of love that and not always it doesn't always work for me but I like movies that do that sometimes. I mean, 
especially if they have an interesting take on all of it. It's just like, now it's a zombie movie. Sure, why not, you know? Yeah, genre yeah, mixing yeah. is is fine. That's how, I'm um, often, that's kind of how you innovate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, I, I'm not too, I'm not too big on zombie apocalypse movies. So I kind of. Me neither. Was, yeah, me neither. Was, I'm not a zombie person. Yeah. I was kind of losing interest in when that started going down. But I think really the most of, of the four movies that are in this, the most interesting to me, and the one that feels the most Tobe Hooper or Toby Hooper. I don't know. Yeah, why I, it's Toby, I believe. Oh, it's Toby. Oh, my I God. It, <laughs> it might like be Tobe. Fool. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I've always I've always heard Toby Hooper. Yeah. Oh, OK, Toby. Yeah. I'll say Toby then. Um, the, the sequence that feels the most Toby Hooper-esque is just when uh, the vampires hitchhiking across country, like fucking everyone. Yeah, yeah, and... it's very under the skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. That's what I was thinking, and uh, that's the—I mean—that's the best part of the film, most interesting, and I think that also gets the most towards that, like what um, you both were saying earlier about the very repressed English sexuality of this film. That's where it really comes out the the strongest. Yes, um, yes, um, especially when they get to like the uh, asylum and go into the nurses' quarters and stuff, and like that's a very. Um... Hmm, kind of scene. That, is, <laughs> that was what the... I was like, I, I, I was don't not, know what you guys are getting at with this. <laughs> I was not prepared. I was not prepared for that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, part of the thing, though, is the rules of this movie change changes often as the genre. Yes. So watching it's like, okay, they're vampires. Okay, they can change shape, but but so, and they can possess other people, but only the original vampires and also the uh, these other vampires that they make, they're just like zombies, but they also die if they don't get blood immediately. But the right. original vampire can hide her body. Only the male, female though, not the male. It's like, <laughs> yeah. but also if they switch it to another body, they can change the shape of that body. And yes. <laughs> also the spaceman, he can read the minds of the vampires or anyone the vampire has possessed in the past. But it's no, oh, it just, it just goes on. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I really want to go back and and fin- I, I think I might actually read the the source novel because it did pique my interest. You know, I gotta say, like, it's, uh, the, the opening was promising, but, um, the thing that I found amusing about it is, you know, um, with Corella mentioning the way that the movie detours into being, like, um, the Red Riding trilogy for Oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I found it funny as I was reading The Space Vampires, because I had just read, um, some biographical material about Colin Wilson, and as... Alex mentioned, and uh, Carell also mentioned, his interests were so diverse. He was like a true polymath. Like he moved from philosophy, like into the like really heavily into the the occult, um, especially toward the end of his life. But one thing that is also mentioned about him is that he was really interested in sex crime. Um, mm-hmm. He was a ripperologist, and so when you're reading the space vampires and the female vampire vampire has escaped from the facility and then all of a sudden a body turns up on a you know a common or a heath somewhere and there's a description of the body which is um you know clothes torn spread eagled nipple bitten off or missing there are bite marks on the body and it's like why this is this is svu now but now it's a vampire unit yeah (laughs) well there yeah there there it is (laughs) we gotta pitch this to dick wolf come on 
<laughs> I I would I would watch that series. You may you mean to tell me <laughs> that there's a vampire lady running around the country? <laughs> <laughs> the teeth are his penis. <laughs> I, I did Sorry, like I when snorted. The... Oh my god. <laughs> It's okay, I snort when I laugh, too. And it always amuses whoever's talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of this movie, uh, besides the, uh, the, the, the nurse uh, scene, but just right before that, when they, uh, they arrest the dude for having the car that they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I don't know. It's just, and they just go like, yeah, we've got this, this. What is his name? Like Keith or something. Some incredibly like just British dad name. <laughs> Keith Moon. <laughs> yeah. The guy who, who and he never gets, uh, he doesn't get got by the vampire. Okay. This is the part of the movie where the vampire is just like hitchhiking from body to body, taking a little bit of energy. I mean, this is all just revealed by Stephen Railsback. You would not been able yeah. to pick this up on your own. <laughs> I think she just fucked him. Yeah, yeah but that makes okay. Stephen rail railbait. Sorry, kind of loses mind because <laughs> she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm in this car with this British dad, and he's t and the British dad is touching her leg, and Stephen is like, because ah! they're psychically linked, and he can't take the raw, horny energy that she's putting out from from this bit. That it's and there's something so British about that whole setup i don't know like you know strange woman and like a little bit of a dowdy dress like raising it above her knees for some guy in a cloth cap who's driving her somewhere it yeah really because like you know americans are, are fairly depraved but like no one beats the british for true perversion <laughs> um it's all over their media um Carell mentioned the uh carry on movies which is a perfect crystallization of just how incredibly perverted the british are like that they can't they can't handle their sexuality without leavening it with this very unfunny humor so it's either and anything any british approach to sexuality either feels like a carry-on movie or alfred hitchcock's frenzy there's no middle ground for the british <laughs> uh, yeah exactly and that's i think what this movie gets at a little bit and that's what makes it interesting it kind of explains some of the hysteria about trans people over there. I mean, there is a kind of, I don't know. It's just like this anger at people who are flouting this code of you don't, you don't do that. You don't move out of your station. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I mean, not that we don't have that here, obviously in America, but I mean, it's just, it's a very, in a very particular British way. Yeah. It's true though, yeah. because the way that it plays out in, in America, like certainly, and of course we have a problem with that in America because with the, the greater visibility of queer people, there's always a, a cultural backlash to it. And we're in the middle of it for the trans community because, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing bathroom bills being introduced and, yeah. in red states things like that but the way it is the way that transphobia sees the imagination of kind of the british ruling class yes is yeah. something else yeah again it comes back to the british class thing you're not you're not staying in your lane you know yeah like yeah. look at graham linehan yeah oh my god <laughs> what a, he's just like he just went fucking berserk over it like he ruined his career and his marriage everything over just <laughs> he, he died for posting he died for posting <laughs> he really did and it's a fucking crime because like I'm sorry Father Ted is still 
a funny show. Like, I'm not, I'm not a booster of, uh, like, you know, IT crowd is a little bit sitcom-y for me. Like, you can see, I mean, kind of see where, like, the the growth of his more, like, problematic ideas in, like, some episodes of IT crowd. But Father Ted is just, like, an absolute classic of British yeah. humor. But it's, now it's going to have that taint of, uh, well, the guy who wrote it, like, lost his goddamn mind about trans people. Yeah, and on a bigger scale, you have the J.K. Rowling thing, which, fucker. But, I mean... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... But, it's, but it's weird, because, like, people I know have just begun to, like, completely separate her from the thing. It's kind of grown beyond J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah. Well, she kind of she kind of forced that herself. This is going to be very problematic when I say this, but it's this. I think it's just this bizarre... Uh, when you look at British sexuality as it's portrayed through the carry on movies and Benny Hill, which is as far as I can tell that those are, that is British culture. That is accurate. 100%. <laughs> that is what they're really like. is. Yeah. It's this, it, it's the thing where everyone is like constantly like horny, but also like incredibly repressed in this. And just like every, every dude you meet is immediately going to like put his hand up your skirt and you know, every 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 woman is either like yeah like a um you know a, a kind of this matriarch battle axe who's like gonna like you know hit you with a rolling pin or something and they don't do rolling pin hitting well i don't know what they they would use a i don't know an egg coddler i don't know what british people like. um, a tea set tea set thank you yeah or like you know or the or um yeah everyone and every british woman is either a miss brahms or a mrs slocum is what it is and I, I don't I feel like there's this weird thing where they see um uh I I don't know, like just this weird thing where like uh I guess what I should say is the idea that the the the, the British have where like every dude is a is just this like is, is just this incredibly sinister pervert. But like per like every every dad is a pervert there. And and they see, I think they just start seeing like, and, and they kind of, that starts like the bathroom hysteria starts to kind of make sense because they really do think that like, I, I'm going in circles, but yeah, the idea is like, they are all perverts. And so they naturally see everyone else as a pervert. And, you know, um, you know, they just think like, oh, every, obviously every trans woman is actually like, you know, a carry on dad who's just, you know, wants to, you know, get, get a bird as they say, but you know. Oh yeah. That's that, that's, that's true. Like the, 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 there's like this demented notion that it's, and that every trans woman is actually like a pepper pot from Monty Python. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think they're, they're like, every, they're just think of every trans woman is, is the nurse in this movie. Yeah. You know, every, every, like they say, like every, uh, everyone is a pervert. And like, if you're going to have, oh, a trans woman is going to be even a burger pervert because, you know, you're, I don't know. Uh, uh. No, but yeah, exactly. I mean, that definitely is, is like the, the, the thing. It's like this in, implicit idea that, oh, you know, we're protecting women's spaces from these men in dresses or whatever. Yeah, it sucks because like personally, I've, I've generally had a positive impression of, uh, England as a country and like the greater United Kingdom. I mean, in the way that like I, uh, uh, in the way that I had like a positive impression of America, because you know my life's been pretty all right. But there's like you know there's 
America being America, there's like a deep sickness at its at its core. Um, and I think the same goes for the United Kingdom, but maybe that's why there is there has always been a kinship between the two. We did kind of grow out of Britain. Uh, we're still very tied to them and looking at their culture is sometimes a little bit like looking through a dis a distorting mirror. There are things that you recognize and then things that you just go like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that just don't correspond at all. And I've met a lot of really nice people from the UK. I've also met some of the most bigoted and vile individuals you could ever hope to not meet. Like, really just incredibly prejudiced, narrow-minded people that rival the worst of America. And honestly, if people want to say, like, you know, America's a huge pile of shit, what am I going to do, argue with them? Yes. Like, <laughs> like this country has... How about it? <laughs> this country is very culturally dominant, but... And has also had like an incredibly malign influence just by virtue of being a, a superpower. Um, and a lot of things about our culture are like very exciting and interesting and um, everything like that. But uh, I'm also quite interested to kind of take a deeper look at, you know, what makes America the way it is. And that includes looking at a lot of the darker shit. And yeah. that's. That is certainly a, a discourse thing going on these days, what with the, you know, the kerfuffle over critical race theory and stuff like that. I mean, people really don't like to be reminded about how much misery the American empire has spread yeah, and what yeah. it was built on. And honestly, same thing with, with Britain. Like, don't listen to Neil Ferguson. He's full of shit. <sighs> He's protecting empire and capital. Like, Britain is as bad as we are. I still love Monty Python, though. Oh, yeah, of course. As problematic as some of it is. Half my favorite bands ever come from England, so, I mean, it's, it's like I'm kind of being, you know, a little mean. There's some British people who are okay. Like, you know, like how there's some, like, regular Americans who are okay. There are a few British. <laughs> they just happen to be, you know, ruled by, you know, the ghouls. Yes. You know? And, um, you know, some of my favorite films are Brit I really like British cinema. Like... If you want to talk, since we, you know, this is this is a kind of a genre sort of podcast. If you want to talk about really excellent genre TV and film, like look to the mm -hmm. British. I mean, we mentioned Nigel Neal and Quatermass. Yeah, um, there's like a whole vein of British sci-fi and weird mm -hmm. fiction that is just like, mwah, it's just like it's so good. Like this movie draws from that. Yeah, like with the when the British the the like British creators who are willing to embrace what makes the country deeply weird. Like yeah. uh yeah. The, the whole the whole genre of British folk horror. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. The Wicker Man. Um and that that is a movie which is also like quite concerned with kind of the British repression of sexuality and also has like a male hysteric character. Yes, exactly. Now keep because weird. like once, yeah, like when, if a British man sees open and overt sexuality, he is going to lose his goddamn mind. He cannot <laughs> handle it. Wait, okay. Actually. Okay. I think I can articulate this now. The, my, my theory of British turfdom related to, uh, <laughs> Related to the carry-on movies. Hell yeah, lay it on. Okay, so here it is. So every every man is like a a a, a pervert 
who's like, oh yeah, I'm bored. I'm going, you know, like I'm going to go rape her, you know. And, um, yeah. yeah, like that, you know, cool, blah, blah, you know, and uh, every woman is like uh, Miss Miss Proms. I know I keep referencing Are You Being Served? I'm trying to keep it straight, but I keep like mixing my British shit. So like, but so every, every woman is like, you know, oh, she's a sexed up tart. So the British like, okay, you're, this, this, this is not what I'm thinking, but this is a British turf mind. You take a, a a man pervert man brain. You put in a pervert woman body. Now you've got a super pervert. That's scarier than the regular British perverts, and they can't compete. You know, I think you're onto something there. They, they made the Voltron of, of perverts. We got yeah, exactly. to stop them or something. Because it's like they're like, okay, a, a man's a pervert brain, but he's in a normal body. But a woman has a normal brain in a pervert body. But now. You know, <laughs> that's also why J.K. Rowling keeps forgetting trans men exist. Because it's like, oh, you put a normal brain in a normal body. <laughs> poor poor trans men, always, like, left out of these hysterical discussions. They're um, the Gen X of genders. <laughs> <laughs> Except they complain a lot less, to be honest. True. Oh, yeah. Nobody complains more than Gen Xers. But um, c- kind of going back to the, you know, Corilla, as you put it, like I really think you are onto something with this this theory of man brain in in woman body because that's sort of embodied by Matilda May in this movie. Not that she's um you know she's a powerful feminine presence, but the fact that sexual like really aggressive sexuality is always something which is ascribed to men in our culture and to see it from a profoundly womanly form like, that's why everybody loses, you know, goes, they freak the fuck out. <laughs> As one of the scientists puts it, um, she's, she was simply the most powerful feminine presence he had ever encountered, or words to that effect. I guess we kind of should at least give a little sketch of the plot, because, I mean, some people can follow along with what we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, so, so, like, this alien woman is found in this coffin-like case in the spaceship um, that the Steven Railsback's character is um, investigating. It's in Halley's Comet. I think that came around in 86, was that? 86. Yeah, so I think this technically plays, takes place in 86, or alternate 1986, because they have all these fancy technology that <laughs> it didn't have then. Yeah, the, the Space Vampires novel is set in the future, but they decided to move it to the contemporary time, I think, maybe to jump on Comet Fever. <laughs> yeah, they they wanted to get in on the craze. <laughs> There's like they find this spaceship that's uh looks like a big giant um, umbrella. It looks pretty cool actually. It looks kinda organic, kinda HR Giger. Yeah, you know? it looks kinda like one of those vampire squids, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It looks like yeah, exactly. And um and they go in and they find all these bat creatures floating around and the um, they're all dead and desiccated. Um, no, uh, and they find, the, but then they find the central chamber with all these uh, crystalline structures, and then this uh, these three coffins with uh, two male-looking entities and a female-looking entity. And of course, they bring her back on the ship. And uh... yeah, they jump ahead a month, and they haven't had contact with the with the um, the U.S. British ship since. I actually I don't think they were even able to alert they were able to alert mission control to what they'd found because they were in the 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 tail of the comet or whatever. Yeah. 
And long story short, they bring back this female entity. She wakes up and she escapes and wreaks havoc. And Stephen Railsback is the lone survivor. And um, er, and early in the movie, he has like a there's like a he tells like a version of the story where like yeah, so it was, she was driving everybody crazy, and um, you know one by one she started taking us down and everything. And then one of the crewmates went crazy and smashed up the uh, control panel or something like that, so there'd be no communication. He blamed the radio operator. The way the guy playing the radio operator was talking was like. He, he sounded like somebody doing a Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> he kind of did, actually. Yeah, yeah. It was just very, you know, like, I mean, like a bad impression, but it just struck me like, oh. <laughs> I did wonder if he had been maybe ADR'd. Probably. It wouldn't be surprised. These things happen. Oh, yeah. Also, I forgot to ask. Um, so there are there is basically two versions of this movie. There's a theatrical oh. version and a um, longer cut. Um, uh, I believe, I mean, I watched the longer cut. I think that's the one that's most readily available, but I think some places, I mean, how long was the one version you watched? Just to make sure we watched the same movie. Oh, um, Pretty sure I'm not did. sure, actually. Uh, let me let me take a quick look at, uh, at Shudder, because this is currently on Shudder right now. Oh, okay, that's for, the one I watched. So. For Spooky Season. Sweet. Um, let's see. Life Force. There it is. Okay. Um, 101 minutes. Oh, I think that might be the shorter version. Huh. Uh, do you have an idea of what was maybe cut out? I think, um, because I think there was a longer, like, international release, but I won't swear. I think the one that was on Netflix for a long time and and a lot of the other streaming services was the longer version. That's the one I remember. I think I, I don't think I've ever seen the original, so it might actually play slightly different in some scenes. Um, <laughs> apparently before before Hooper was approved, uh, Michael Winner was offered the chance. Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! Thank Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> seriously, I think I think we really dodged a bullet there. Matilda May dodged a fucking yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. I mean. <laughs> And for, for people who don't know, um, this is something that I've talked about on my own show. That's patreon.com slash have you seen this? Um, we discussed Death Wish 3 um, on the pod and um, took the opportunity to talk a little bit about Mike Winner, the director, and specifically like how badly he treated Marina Sirtis. Yes. Um, who appeared in... Uh, not just Death Wish 3, but she was also in another uh, winner film. A real winner of a film, The Wicked Lady with Faye Dunaway. And she will tell stories to this day about how he just treated her like shit. Yeah, yeah. In the documentary about Canon Films, they go into that. Because, um, you know, Michael Winner made a bunch of movies for them. And uh, he, he, was a real, he was a real scummy dude. Yeah, he was a, he was a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I found his autobiography on Scribed. And I was like, oh... Shit, this would be great for for talking about on our, on our show, and you know maybe we get a guest because you know this is gonna be wild. And there was also, but as I thought about it, I was like, God, do I even want to read this? Like, how much time do I want to spend with this man's innermost thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um. Ugh. God, people are so disrespectful to Counselor Troy. It's very upsetting. We were um. Uh, Carell and I, along with with uh, his wife, were talking yesterday about Next Gen, and 
how they did the character of Troy kind of dirty in some of the, especially some of the earlier episodes. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ, it even extended to Marina Sirtis, just, you know, treated like garbage. Oh, yeah. speaking of Next Generation, um, like we mentioned earlier, Patrick Stewart plays in a kind of crucial role in this uh, at a certain point. Um, that this is That's actually the point of the movie where things get a little weird. Um, <laughs> a little. A little weird. I mean, up until then, it's like pretty much just B-movie stuff. Vampire ladies uh, in the country, they, they trek down the nurse who uh, seduced the guy uh, on the road there, and they trace her back to her... Um, to her nurse nurse house? Her nurse? Her nurse den. Like she's got like nurse. A, a nurse burrow. Yeah, um, yeah this this bit with the, the nurse was really where, because up to this point, I was like, oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. And this was the bit where I was like, what? Okay, what the fuck? Um, because uh, the, what's his name? Saddleback? Saddleridge? The American. <laughs> plays, uh, Steve Railsback, who plays Colonel, Colonel Carlson. Thank you. So I'm surprised so, you didn't. I'm I'm surprised you didn't internalize his name after Matilda May repeated it telepathically so many times during <laughs> the, end of the movie, which is I find funny because it hit me. I was like, wait, so like they're like basically married on the astral plane at this point, but she doesn't call him <laughs> by his first name. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, have you ever watched I Dream of Genie? That that's. That's the way it goes. Oh yeah, Major Nelson. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like, well, it's like you know, um... Major Nelson, like the the first asexual hero on television. <laughs> <laughs> Pioneer. Um... Um, I do like this bit though, where the nurse is like, he basically comes in and he's like, he can telepathically realize that she's like a masochist. So yeah, that, he's that's like, the best part. Like, yeah, he's like, she's a masochist, and like, she really, she doesn't look like it, but she really likes this. You know, as he's like, she's really just like, and and he's just trying to see if she has any of the Matilda May's, uh, like, you know, personality. Yeah, person yeah, still in there, and she doesn't. She's just like, <laughs> you know, I told the people at HR that this woman is an extreme masochist and they didn't believe me. They still fired me. Well, what I like about this though, is I feel like this scene is the purest expression of British sexuality. Yes. Which is yes, like, exactly. Like, I, I have That's to be getting to the thesis of what we were talking about. You know, it's like, it's, it's like everybody is the movie is a secret pervert. And it takes either a foreigner or an extraterrestrial to kind of shake that loose. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But, but once it's loose, it's like uncontrollable. Yeah. But yeah. I also like the way he approaches it where he's like, I, I have to I have to beat this woman, you know, for the crown or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the part where because he's accompanied by Kane, Peter Firth's character, whose response when um, Carlson asks him if he maybe wouldn't prefer to leave the room because like, and you don't like, it plays out like he's implying like that he's, he's going to do something awful to this woman to get her to talk, maybe even sexually assault her. That's how, that's the energy in the room. And then Kane is just kind of like, like, I forget. I'm I forget. a natural like, voyeur. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Peter Firth is quite good in this movie. I have to say, and yeah. despite like having, um, not a hell of a lot to work with, but he right. acquits himself quite well, as is often the case when you get these like absolute rock solid British professionals in these somewhat silly genre films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They bring it. The clearest crystallization of the British attitude towards acting is what um, Olivier supposedly famously said to Dustin Hoffman, which is, have you tried acting, dear boy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if it's not a true anecdote, it like feels true. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a great it's a great quote. Like the method stuff, I mean, obviously some great performances have come out of that, obviously, but when you see like people like fucking Jared Leto talking about being a method actor and shit, it just makes like <laughs> man, just bring just bring back the British approach to acting, you know? Yeah, like on our show we just talked about uh Vampire's Kiss with Nicolas Cage. Yes. And that performance was a little bit of a, a Hail Mary that ends up like really working, even though people didn't get it at the time. But reading about the production, you're like, Jesus Christ, like dealing with this fucking guy like on set must have been <laughs> a chore. Or, you know, like like uh, Jim Carrey, like becoming Andy Kaufman for Man on the Moon. It's like, like, OK, I appreciate the <laughs> commitment, but maybe relax a little bit yeah yeah like we're making product here like let's be real the, the cinema has always been a marriage of art and commerce and has been primarily commerce driven so it's like let's just get this fucking film made because you also have patrick stewart in this movie being extremely good giving in game um yes. you've got your aubrey morris who is a, a another fixture in fact like i think was in wicker man as i recall uh, who's, which one who's aubrey morris in this Ah, uh, God, you know, you would know, you'd know his face when you see him. Um, he looks a little bit like Dick Van Patten, but not. Um, but I don't know what, like, particular, like, British government official he played in this. Is he the guy who's, like, the little the little guy who's with him who just dies? I was so confused by this character. It's like Sir, Sir Percy. Yes, and, um... There, he he has like a great moment where he mentions that they're that they're going to the lunatic asylum, <laughs> like just the way he reads that line with this weird sort of relish. Again, very British. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, there's also a scene later in the movie where uh, the the Peter Firth character is like driving around, like just hitting all these um, <laughs> zombie people in the truck, and it just like he has this, this look on his face. It's like it looks like half exasperation but half like glee. Like oh, I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> Yeah, and that is also very fucking British. Like, it's like that barely controlled rage against your fellow man. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I mean, we have that here. Oh, we absolutely have that here. Like, I mean, just oh, look at yeah, all the, yeah. like, the women losing their minds on video at Applebee's or whatever, or guys, like, throwing a literal temper <laughs> tantrum in a Home Depot because someone asked them to wear a mask. It's, like, Americans be wilding out right now. <laughs> but the veneer of civility is is extremely thin, as many movies have made clear. And this one is no exception. Come back for part two next week. If you have any constructive comments, movie suggestions, or stories of your own otherworldly sightings or encounters... Drop us a line at saucercinemapod at gmail.com.